Thank you for this opportunity that you've given us to come together, Father, to uh, hear your word. And I just pray that you would use this vessel, Father, as you, as you wish. So again, I, I just, I'm so thankful for an opportunity for us as a body, uh, church body, and as a body of Christ to uh, take advantage of this opportunity that you've given us to try and get it right this time. So we just pray, Father, that you would just uh, cause us to open our ears and our hearts to receive what you have for us and that we would leave knowing more about you and your will and your way than we did when we came in. So I thank you for what you've done in each and every one of our lives. I thank you for uh, uh, what you're doing, and I thank you for what you're going to do, Father, in these last few days. So we thank you for uh, your blessings. We thank you for your mercy, and we thank you, Holy Spirit. May you receive the glory for everything that's done and said here tonight. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Uh, tonight, uh, Lord willing, we're going to uh, dig into Second uh, Timothy chapter one. Second Timothy chapter one. Uh, as as I've gone through, as we've gone through First um, Timothy, all of First Timothy ch- chapters one through six, there are a lot of things that that Paul continues to repeat. And I understand it. I'm beginning to understand it more every single day why the Lord repeats certain things. He, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. So he knows uh, sometimes you've got to just keep telling him over and over and over again in order for us to get it. Some of the things we still haven't gotten, especially myself, but he's still working on it. So the thing is, he has an advantage over me because he has a tremendous amount of patience. And I would say I'm a little bit, uh, my tank's not full. My patient's tank is not full right now. And I don't know if it ever will be, but the Lord is teaching me so much about that. And there's some things that he's put on my heart that I want to share with, with my sisters and my brothers tonight. Uh, one of those, before we even get started, is, is this will come out in the lesson. But what he uh, allowed me to see was when we are witnessing uh, to our sisters and our brothers how we have a tendency, first and foremost, to forget about what it took, who it took to get us to where we are. We say, I'm, I'm witnesses to my brother, I'm witnesses to my neighbor, I'm witnesses to my coworker, and they're just not receiving it. What we need to remember is we all went through that phase. You know, did someone come to you and says, Jesus loves you. Oh, yeah, that's it. Okay, I, I accept it. I accept the, the, the Holy Spirit. I, I, I'm, I'm ready to be uh, brought, uh, sanctified. I'm ready for this. But no, we did not. We, because we loved our area of being away from him. We loved that. And we didn't want to let that go. So it took a while. And we have to remember that mom and dad were praying for us. Grandma was praying for us. So we need to be conscious of that and continue to pray for them. Don't ever give up. Don't ever give up because even now as we sit here tonight, there's someone praying for everyone in this room. And hello out there too. Don't want to forget you guys. So uh, let's just continue to do that. And another thing that he brought to my attention is the fact that when I talk to someone, I get a chance to minister, and they said, well, no one ever told me that Jesus loved me. And it's so hard for me to comprehend that. I, I'm naive enough to think that, come on now, somewhere along the way, someone had to tell you that Jesus loved you. Say, no, nobody ever told me that. But they did tell me that I'm going to burn in hell if I don't repent. They did tell me that part, but nobody ever said that. And you said, well, isn't it obvious that Jesus loves you? Not to everyone. The other thing was, it took me a long time to believe that there are people who, in, in, in this area, uh, this nation, this, this country, who have not been exposed to Jesus Christ. And you say, well, come on, bro. Everybody knows that. But I guess I knew it, but I didn't want to believe. How can you be in this country and not be exposed to the gospel? And because of certain circumstances that the Lord showed me, I found that to be true. And when he asked you, this guy, you know him, where do you think that he would have exposure to the word of God? Well, uh, 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 
Yeah, okay. I had nothing. Because uh, did he see it on television? Did he hear it on the radio? Did the guys and the girls at work talk about Jesus? You know, and it's like, no, that person never got any exposure. And then he taught me to never assume anything, assume nothing. When you see that person, even people here, it goes to church, so obviously he's got to know, she's got to know. And it's not true, guys. So let's not assume anything. Let's take every opportunity to minister, to encourage, to pray for, to pray with everyone that we're exposed to. And it goes back to uh, Second Commandment, love thy neighbor as thyself. And we have a tendency to pick and choose. And you're going to see that there's a, a, a pattern of me saying that, but it's just something that, that I'm being totally honest with you guys. I had to learn. You can't pick and choose who you're going to minister to. Or I wouldn't say can't. You shouldn't pick and choose who you're going to minister to. You should take advantage to minister to everyone. And don't assume because they're too young or maybe even too old. If they haven't gotten it now, they'll never get it. We, we shouldn't think that way. So let's just be open to the gospel. Let's just open to any opportunity that it gives us for fellowship and an opportunity to minister or witness to our neighbors, friends, home have coworkers, schoolmates, whatever, husbands, wives. Let's do it. And I know uh, that's one of the, the, the main grounds that's pretty barren now between husband and wife. Well, he should see the way I'm living and just accept it. Or she should see how I'm living and just want to know, you know, what is this God that you serve? And we need to be open to every opportunity. Don't, don't assume anything. Don't assume because that daughter or that son of yours seems to be living out of the will of God that you shouldn't even bother ministering to them. It's a huge mistake on our part. So, uh, and we're going to talk about that a little bit more because of uh, Paul's relationship with Timothy and a couple other people that we're going to mention uh, tonight, Lord willing. And uh, let's, verse 1. Uh, I titled this, by the way, Be Loyal to the Faith. And uh, another place that you can go and, and hopefully be encouraged by just those words is in, uh, oh gosh, excuse me, mm. before Revelation, Jude. <laughs> wow, okay. Uh, just go to Jude, uh, contend for the faith, and just be encouraged by that. Just be loyal to the faith. Verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, according to the promise of his life, which is in Christ Jesus. And, and we hope for the future because Christ purchased salvation for us on the cross in the past. And you can see that in Romans 5, 1 and 2. He was sanctified as through his spirit in the present, which is in Galatians 5, 16 through 25, and will lead us to glory in the future Colossians 1.27 and 1 John 3, 2 and 3. So those are the places that we can go. God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. God is the same in the past. God is the same in the present. And God is the same in the future. And those verses, I know I went through them pretty quickly, but uh, if you really want to follow through that, I, I'll be more than glad to share with you after the, the study tonight. But those are the things that he wants us to be conscious of. I haven't forgotten you. Yeah, your sins I've, I've cast out as far as east is from west. But I just want you to know that I'm with you. I'm with you. And, and no matter what you're going through, uh, one of the things that I get to see a lot is people who think that, um, you know, uh, they're, when they're on the mountain, God's there. But as soon as they slip and fall into the valley, God has deserted them. On the contrary, I am with you always, always. And, and don't ever forget that it's just so good to be encouraged by that, to know that you have a God that loves you unconditionally with a God pay love. And, and when we talk about that, we've, we've all, everybody in this room, everybody there has been disappointed with a friend or a family member. And sometimes they, they have a tendency to, to think of our God the same way. Our God is not like. There's only... Uh, <laughs> One. There's only one. 
high and lifted up, and, and that's our Lord and Savior. And, and we're going to be disappointed. We're going to be disappointed by that wife. We're going to be disappointed by that husband. We're going to be disappointed by that sister or that brother. We're going to be going to be. It's not if, it's just a matter of when. But God doesn't do that. He's encouraging every moment, every situation. Chapter 2, to Timothy, a beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. And in and, and, and all of Paul's inspired writings, he only referred to Timothy and Titus as true, a beloved son. Uh, in 2 Timothy 1 and 2 and Titus 1, 4. And beloved, it takes on a different meaning. He could say, uh, to Timothy, a son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. But he didn't. A beloved son. And that takes on a whole different meaning. How we even have... Uh, our favorites. And the Greek word son is better translated child, which emphasizes Paul's role as spiritual father to Timothy. He was a spiritual father, and that's what we desire. We desire spiritual friends. We desire spiritual family. We desire spiritual mate, spouse. We desire that. It's just in our nature. So we just, so it's more than, it's not just a friend. It's someone who's closer than a friend. And we all know what that means. And, and I thank God that he's given us that. And uh, when he talks about grace, mercy, and peace, uh, grace is getting what we don't deserve. It's the goodness of God. Mercy is not getting what we do deserve, which is also a result of God's love and frees us from the misery that comes with the negative consequences of sin. When I say consequences, I specify because we always think of consequence as a negative. If you're saying there's going to be consequences, that's, that's more than likely going to be negative, but there are positive consequences. There are consequences to reaching out to others. It may cost you something, but if the focus is not on you, it sure makes it a lot easier. So when we're reaching out, let's think in terms of this is what the, 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 the Lord that we want to follow. This is the God that we want to follow. This is what he would do. And I had a, a situation today. I got an opportunity to teach Sunday school, and the, the, the young man brought up the uh, parable of the Good Samaritan. And there were a lot of questions surrounding that. And I, and I thought of us in that context, how we think, well, he's a pastor. He shouldn't walk past this person and not do something or 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 a, a, a priest, or, or whatever title that we give them. Uh, and sometimes the Lord does, sometimes he doesn't. But that brought to mind us. If you were that person, layman, priest, whatever, and you walked by somebody laying on the sidewalk injured, what would you do? You can't know. You could say, well, I would, uh, I would stop and help them. You don't know that because it's going to depend solely on the circumstances. And this person who was lying uh, injured was in a place that most people wouldn't be. So there were some injuries. And, and then we see that. We see when we, and I give a real world example. We walk out of here and someone's sitting in the fellowship hall with their head on the, on the, on the table crying. What do you do? Well, I don't know her. I don't know him, so I'm, I'm not going to I'm going to leave him alone. Is that any different from that parable? Is that any different from the priest and the and the, the the other that that passed him by? Are we any different than that? Or we see someone who's visibly upset. What do we do? And as true Christians, true Christians, we have an obligation I don't know him, so I'm not going to say anything. I don't know her, so I'm not going to say anything. We have an obligation you know, to tend to the least of them. And I, I can stand here and say that over and over and over again, but even within myself, I don't know how I'd react. I know what the Bible encourages me to do, but there's some things in the Bible that I don't adhere to. I'm not saying they're wrong, but it's just a condition of my heart. Do I respond to this? in the way that Jesus will respond. You know, if I, if I walk out of here now and they're uh, out on the, 
out in the fellowship hall selling lotto tickets, do I turn the tables over? Or do I buy a ticket? And again, these are things that may sound like, oh, that's really weird. But these are the kind of things that we, have, we need to think about. How would you react? What would you do in a situation like that? Uh, and to finish that up, uh, in, in uh, verse uh, 2 is, and the, the peace is something that we can only receive by trusting in a sovereign God. A sovereign God. Peace. Peace. Lord, I pray for peace, but you're not giving it to me. Uh, to, to say that is, is making a presumption on what peace is from God's vantage point. Lord, peace would mean that you would heal my mom. Peace would mean that you would take the alcohol, taste of alcohol from my dad. Peace would mean that you know, my sister would be obedient to our parents. That's peace. Is that what the Lord's will is for them? We don't know. We don't know. How about those of us who are unequally yoked? How do we contend with that? What do you do? Do you give up on them? Do you stop praying for them? Do you stop showing them the godliness in your life? We just continue to do what the Lord calls us to do. And that's how that peace comes from that. And the fact that he's a sovereign God. He knows. And you may, well, that's not fair. Well, there's a difference between being sovereign and being fair. What works for you, what God is doing in your life and giving you positive results may not be positive for someone else. But, Lord, I, I pray for this, and, and you delivered my, my, my friend's husband from pornography. So why can't you do the same for me? Who's God teaching in that situation? You would think, well, he would definitely want to take this away, but have you learned anything by him just doing that? Just taking it away? Is he teaching you patience? Is he teaching you, uh, uh, is he teaching you how to have more of a heart for those who are struggling to let go? Because he's given them a choice just like he's given you. He's allowed them to wallow in that mud He's given them that choice. That's what they choose to do. He gave you that choice and you chose not to. But that doesn't mean that's the best thing for that other person. Let's continue to pray for him. Ask for his mercy, his grace, and his peace. Verse 3. I thank God who I serve with a pure conscience as my forefathers did, as without ceasing I remember you in my prayers night and day. Pure conscience. The commandment of love is to preach the truth and warn uh, of errors so that we can be called to salvation in Christ, which produces a love for God. When we continue to pray, when we continue to seek his face, when we continue to turn from our wicked ways, that's when he pours out that love on us. That love to endure in spite of the fact that we don't like the way our child is living. We don't like the way my husband treats me. We don't like the way my wife doesn't respect me. I don't like that. But again, what is the Lord doing? He's not always going to tell you. He's not always going to show you. He's just going to just continue perfecting you, perfecting you, perfecting you. I'm not going to take that away. I'm not going to make that that prodigal child come home. But I am going to teach you patience. I'm going to allow you an opportunity to see you're in the same situation. You're doing the same thing, except you don't see it from the same perspective. Just like that child has run away from you as a family, you run away from your husband. You run away from your wife. Even though maybe not physically, but mentally, there is no connection. And that's how the Lord is with us. I want you to see you in this situation. I want you to see you as this child. Well, they have habits that I don't like. Have you ever considered the fact that you have habits they don't like? Well, I didn't really think about that. That's not, that's not fair. Yeah, but their habits are wor- a lot worse than mine, Lord. Okay, who's doing the quantifying here? Now who's God? So this is what we need to see. This is what we need to see in ourselves. He's giving you an opportunity to look in the mirror, but you don't see it as a mirror. You see it as the fact that I don't like what you're doing. 
And he's saying, I don't like what you're doing. Can you see that? Well, at least nobody's getting hurt by what I'm doing. Uh, that's never true. Never. It's an innocent thing. Nobody else is being affected by it. No such thing as that. No matter what you do, everything that you do, and you may not see it directly, but indirectly, someone is being affected positively or negatively by everything that you do. Everybody. No exceptions. Be conscious of that. The mark of a true Christian is self-denial and self-sacrifice for the benefit of others. That's a very difficult one. That is very difficult. I know. So you're saying that I should put somebody else's priority over mine? Oh, no way, man. No, I mean, come on. The, the focus is, after all, on me. So why should I put someone else's, someone else before myself? And that's what he's calling us to do. He's calling us to esteem others above ourselves. And that is so challenging for the flesh. Well, I got my needs, I got my wants, and they come before anybody or anything. That's what we say to ourselves. That's, and the flesh supports that. But the Lord is saying, you esteem, esteem others before yourself. Uh, again, you heard me use the, the word joy, J-O-Y, Jesus, others, and then you. That's the order. There is no other way you can take that. If you take that and mix it around, you're going to get some pretty strange words. Joy. Think about that. And it's, it's, so, it's such a challenge for me to put someone else's priorities before mine. And I know I'm not alone in this. I see it on a regular basis. And I experience it. It's like, well, this is what's important. I already got plans. Uh, brother, you know, I'm really having a hard time. Could you stop by? Well, I had already committed to, uh, you know, going to a car show, so I, I can't change my plans now. So my going to that show is much more important than me praying with my brother. It shouldn't be. And again, this is what we have to be careful with because it's, there's no pattern. Well, this is what you do. This is what you always do. You always drop what you're doing and go and minister to that child, minister to that sister, minister to that brother. And there, God has not given us a particular pattern. It's just a condition of the heart. If he says, then you, you follow your plan, that's what you do. If he's saying, no, go with this, a little change in plans, that's what you do. But it's so hard. That flesh is something strong, my friends, just in case you haven't experienced it yet. You know, it's really strong. It, it has a tendency to want to get its way at all costs. Even if it hurts, the flesh wants its way. Because it's not concerned about you and how you feel about things. The flesh wants to have its way. And if you're not careful, it will. And we end up destroying you, me, and everybody that we know. Let's be careful with that. Uh, a pure conscience is that which is uh, perfect and produces godly pleasure and godly satisfaction. Godly pleasure, godly satisfaction. If I just said produces pleasure and satisfaction, that can go awry. That can go way off the curve. Godly satisfaction, godly perfection. Totally different. And those all lead to a condition of the heart. Where's your heart? Are you really committed to this, excuse me, this faith? I won't say religion. Yeah, you're already committed to religion. Are you committed to the faith? Are you contending for the faith? Are you, are you willing to take a stand in spite of the opposition? There's always going to be opposition until he comes back, which is soon and very soon, by the way. There's going to be opposition to everything that you do. So just want to encourage you guys. When a believer does God's will, that believer enjoys assurance, peace, and joy of a good conscience. A good conscience, pure, clean, godly, conscious. Because it can go in the other direction as well. A conscious. My conscience told me to do this. My gut said this is what I should do. Is it a pure conscience? Is it a godly conscience? Then it's always going to lead you in the right direction. If you just go on that, that secular or that worldly conscience, it would take you off the narrow path and put you on the broad path. 
and now you're going to feel much better about yourself because you've got a lot more wiggle room. Now I can do anything I want. It uh, may not be a good thing. may not be to do whatever you want. It may not be good. Sincere faith is a faith that does not attempt to hide its misdoings. And when you say, well, who's going to know? Nobody's ever going to know. It's just me and, and this person that I'm sinning with, or whatever, they, a, a group that I'm sinning with. Who's going to know? But when God talks about sincerity, he talks about being open, being transparent, to not be waxed over. Be sincere. And even to use the word intimacy, into me see, to baby see into your partner, your spouse, your friend, intimacy. I want to be able to see into you. I want to see transparency because if it's dark and gooey, I can't see. I don't know what's going on. But when, when, we're, when there's intimacy, I can see into you and I can see through you and you're transparent. So you can't hide any misdoings. And that's what the Lord wants us. That's why we need that pure conscience. That's why we need that sincere faith. Verse 4, greatly desiring to see you being mindful of your tears that I may be filled with joy. And Paul was facing death at this point. And he had an intense yearning to see Peter again. The reason, one of the reasons that he wanted to see Peter again, because he wanted to encourage him because what was happening now, Peter, I'm sorry. Oh, God. Wow, excuse me, guys. Timothy, Timothy, I, oh, I don't know wherever that came from. But he wanted to see Timothy again because Timothy was being, um, he was being fearful now. He was being uh, mindful of the fact that there's potential persecution for teaching the word of God. So Paul wanted to see Timothy again, to encourage Timothy again, to be able to see him face to face. And let him face to face and know that he was supporting him in everything he did. And he wanted Timothy to understand the fact that uh, this, this preaching the word of God essentially is a dangerous thing to do. Because they were out. They were already after Paul. And Paul knew that they were not going to make any exceptions for Timothy. He knew they were going to do the same thing. So he wanted to see him and talk to him face-to-face face and encourage him face-to-face. Face. So he had an urgency to see Timothy again. Verse 5, When I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, I am persuaded is in you also. And that genuine faith was instilled in Timothy by Lois and by Eunice through the Holy Spirit and encouraged by Paul that the commandment of love is to preach the truth and warn of areas so we can be called to salvation in Christ, which produces a love for God. And Paul knew that Timothy had already been taught by Lois and Eunice. And, uh, you know, it, it, where it says, teach a child in the way you should go, train a child in the way you should go, and he will not depart from it. And Paul was counting on this for Timothy, for Timothy's sake. And he wanted to make sure that he got another opportunity to say that to Timothy. Because Timothy, he was teaching the word, but there was fear involved. And we know that fear can only come through the flesh. God has not given us a spirit of fear. As Paul faith this, he had in his journey to see Timothy again. Verse, when I caught the remembrance of genu uh, faith, the genuine faith was instilled by, by Timothy and uh, it, it warns of errors so that we can be called to salvation. And we warn them of areas. The Lord has given a lot of us an opportunity to make some mistakes. But he's also given us an opportunity to share with others and warn them of those errors, of those mistakes. And we know, especially those of us who have children, that you know, they know a lot more than we do, especially once they turn 13 you know, that's it. I'm, I'm way smarter than you, dad, mom. And they have a less of a tendency to want to listen to it. And so they've got to learn for themselves. But it's hard for us to watch that. But we have to. It's hard. And even more so with you guys who got grandkids. 
it's very, very difficult to stand by and watch them go through these things that we've already experienced. Son, daughter, let me just share with you, I've gone through this already. Yeah, dad, mom, that was a different day, a different time. Things are a lot different now. You know, and yeah, I, I love this boy, and I know he's the best thing could happen to me, so I'm, I'm going for it. I love this girl because, I mean, she's, she's a total package, so I'm not going to let this get away from me. That's the worst thing for you, my son, my daughter. But, again, we're the smarter ones at that age, so we know better. So continue to encourage them, as Paul did with Timothy. Timothy was a young man uh, back, and prior to this, he was probably like 15 years old. And then as he grew and learned and, and really trusted Jesus, things became even more difficult for him from a, from, a, uh, from a physical standpoint because now he was a threat to those who wanted to, the, the, who wanted to rule, who wanted to, to teach something that was not the gospel. He was a threat to them, as Paul was. Paul, you know, we don't want you teaching this. We want to control them. We want to rule over them. And you're telling them that they don't have to listen to us, that they got to listen to Jesus? That's not good for us. So we got to eliminate this. So Paul knew it was coming, and he just wants to encourage Timothy that it's coming. Verse 6, Therefore I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Paul is reminding Timothy to keep the fire alive. Stir it up. You know, those coals are, are starting to get a little dark and starting to go out. So stir it up. Get that fire going again. And, and this is in the spiritual gift that had been endowed to him. A spiritual gift had been endowed to Timothy. And Paul could see where Timothy was becoming fearful of man. So it says, Timothy, stir it up. Take that stick and stir up those coals. Get them going nice and hot again. And because you've been endowed a spiritual gift that we as a people, as a body of Christ, can't afford to lose because of the fear of man. And some of us have done that. Some of us have been there. We, we, we'll, we'll talk Jesus Christ all day long in these four walls. We step out into the mission field. All of a sudden, now we're a social chameleon. We're a secret agent Christian. And not good. Not good. So this is what I... Person. Did I say something wrong, Lord? <laughs> yeah, 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 there you go. That was a trump. Here we go. Well, we're, we're going home, folks. <laughs> but uh, just, boy, wow. <sighs> wow. <laughs> uh, to stir up those gifts. Don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. Don't be ashamed because, because he wants to do great things to each and every one of us. So, uh, again, you know, we can see uh, th this, this negativity, this, this, those who are, don't support what we believe in. We can see it rising every day, minute by minute. And we can see the things that are going on. And don't think they're going to lessen. But he's told us, if I don't come back, nobody's going to survive. And he's given us indications of that right now. We can see what's happening in this country. I don't get out of the country much, but I can see what's happening right here. And that's enough right there. He can see where, uh, you know, men are saying what's right in their own eyes. They're lying to us blatantly and then trying to fix it in a few months. They're controlling us by saying you're going to do this, you're not going to do that. There, there's a control, and some of it's subtle, and it depends on you, and some of it's not so subtle. But we've got that influence, that, that worldly influence. And uh, again, you guys have heard me say this. If you really look around and see what's happening, you will notice it's the tail that's wagging the dog. What happened? Well, hey, we got, we got away with Roe versus Wade. We got away with no prayer in school. We got away with we can close the churches and not the bars. Mm -hmm. So let's see how much further we can go. Let's see what they'll buy, how long they will continue to buy what we're selling. 
Let's be careful with that. Trust in God, no one else. For God, verse 7, for God has not given us the spirit of fear, but a power of, and of love and a sound mind. Fear is a cowardly, shameful fear caused by weak, selfish character. Why are we afraid of anything? And I'm not saying that I'm going to you know, jump in the shark tank. I'm not saying that. But you know, there's a, a thing called uh, wisdom and common sense. And we don't always exercise those. But for the, the fear of man, the fear of being ashamed of the gospel, those are the kind of things. Don't be afraid of man. Continue to teach that word, preach that word in season and out of season. God has already given believers all the spiritual resources we need for every trial and every threat. He's given you those resources. Now, will you utilize them? That's the question. Will you utilize those resources? Will you stand up? Will you, will you stand in, the, in that crowd and do a Bible study in the mall? Well, that was back then. You know, will you, are you willing to go to the jails and minister to the inmates without rep, uh, the recourse for fear? Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to teach the word or preach the word to that son or daughter who says, yeah, that Jesus stuff works for you, but it doesn't work for me? Are you willing to continue to stay the course? Are you willing? You have a choice. Fear. Fear. That's not of God. That's of the flesh. So let's just continue to... to Seek his face in everything. And the, the godly love uh, centers on pleasing God and seeking our, neighbors, um, seeking our neighbor's welfare before our own. Seeking our neighbor's welfare before our own. Putting their, I won't say wishes and desires. I'll just say needs and you can, you can interpret that however you wish. Putting their needs before our needs. Can we do that? Will we do that? A sound mind in this tech context refers to a disciplined self-control and properly prioritized heart, a condition of the heart. A sound mind, that's different from the heart. No, it isn't. From the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. That's where that comes from. And it has to travel that distance to get to here. So it all begins with the heart. But it brings to mind what it says in Jeremiah. The heart of man is deceitfully wicked. Who can know it? What are you capable of doing? What are you capable of not doing? Do you trust the Lord in everything? Otherwise, that heart is out of control. We have to learn to trust him no matter what. Through the trials and through the victories, we need to learn to trust him. And he, again, he gives us wisdom for godly confidence in every situation. It's not, a, it's not a boasting. It's godly confidence. When it's godly, it's not boasting. I will not boast in anything. No power, no gifts, and no wisdom. But I will boast in Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection. That's not boasting. That's confidence in Christ. And that's what we want to be. That's what I want to encourage each and every one of us, starting with me. Verse 8, therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God. Do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. And let's stay away from the opinions. Let's say the Bible says, so when there's that that, that opposition, that, that desire to debate, that desire to get into these d- divisive conversations, go to the Bible. This is what the Bible says. You want to argue with Jesus? You want to argue with God? You want to argue with the Lord? You go ahead. And that puts it in a whole different context. They're not going to stand there and argue with the Bible. Well, some will. But 
highly, it's less likely that they will if we just tell them what the Bible says and show them what the Bible says. And because of Paul's preaching of the gospel in connection to Timothy, Timothy's life and freedom could have been in jeopardy. And this is a classic example of guilt by association in a negative way. He's hanging out with Paul, just like when uh, Peter was approached. You know this man? No, I don't know him. Never seen him before. I have nothing to do with him. That was negative. And now Timothy is experiencing that same thing with, with Paul. Because now he's associated with Paul. So if he's associated with Paul, he's going to teach the way Paul teaches. He's going to preach the way Paul preaches. He's going to take the chances. You know, from a worldly standpoint, he's taking the chance on his life. But he's not looking at it as that. When you're sold out, when you're committed to the faith, when you're a true follower of Jesus Christ, those things are just part of, the, the, of doing what we do. Are we going to be liked? There's some people who are not going to like us because of that. Uh, you believe, uh, you're, you're a Bible thumper. You're a Jesus freak. I can't, be, I can't hang around you. And those things are going to happen. But we're going to take a stand. But, you know, when you know that you know that you know, it's not quite the same. I'm willing to take the hits because... I'm a soldier of Christ. I'm willing to take the hits because I'm going to stand for the cause. I'm going to take the hits because I will contend for the faith. I will continue to fight until there's nothing left. And that was Paul's attitude. And so as a result, we know that Paul was going to teach Timothy the same thing. That was the whole idea. Timothy, you, you, you're going to get persecuted. But if you're really committed, then that's what you do. And with some of us, how we're committed to certain things in our lives, and we're willing to do whatever it takes to support that cause. And that's how we want to be when it comes to the gospel. Hmm. Verse 9. Who has saved and called us with the holy call, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose of grace, which is given in Jesus Christ? Sent before time began. This holy calling is God's call of the elect to salvation. It's not a general calling. So everybody's welcome. And in a sense, that's what he's saying. But in this context, uh, this is, this is uh, God's call of the elect to salvation. This calling results in holiness, which is imputed, which is justification, which is imparted, which is sanctification, and which is completed, which is glorification. So that's what the Lord's doing. He wants to give you all of that. And that's, that's huge. Justification, sanctification, glorification. Doing, doing, done. Glorification. Verse 10. But has now been revealed by the appearing of the Savior Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Physical death still exists, but is no longer a threat or an enemy for Christians. True Christians is still there. People die. But our, what he's encouraging us to do is look at death from a different perspective. Now you're going to, you have an opportunity to see me face to face. Is there anything better than that? It's like you just had this great meal and now mom brings out dessert. Oh, now we're getting somewhere. And that's what he wants. He wants us to look at death as, uh, as no longer a threat or an enemy for Christians. Verse 11, to which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of the Gentiles. Paul teaches the Gentile that, that, that faith alone and not works will save a person. And he talks about that um, in other places. Faith without works. That's what Paul's teaching. And his opposition is teaching just the opposite. 
even when it comes to things as basic as circumcision or baptism, well, you got to be circumcised in order to, to be, you know, in, in the number. You got to be baptized in order to be in the number. And Paul's not teaching that. And that's where the rub comes in. These, these, these other men, these false teachers are teaching that. The, 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 the pos- one possible reason that Paul is saying this again is because the Judaizers were not pleased with the message that Paul brought. They were not pleased. Paul, you're messing things up here, man. We're teaching them that they got to be circumcised. they got to be baptized. they got to be this, got to do that. You know, even the way they dress has got to be a certain way in order to be accepted. And Paul is saying, no. No, you see that. God doesn't see that. God sees the heart. That's what we want to be. He sees the heart. Uh, they wanted the Christians to keep the old Mosaic law, even though they were believers in Christ. Paul's remind Timothy the message of salvation through faith was, was the truth. The truth. The Judaizers taught a bunch of things that, that we, we certainly won't get into tonight because the list is long that didn't line up with the word of God. And Ecclesiastes, is there anything new under the sun? It's happening today, my friends. Right now, as we speak, the powers that be are making laws that are going to affect our lives in a great way. Nothing new. Faith causes us to teach truth, no matter what. There may be a cost. Well, you know, if I just told just a, a half a lie, it would be a lot easier. Okay? Define the difference between a, a, a half a lie and a lie. Define the difference between a white lie and the, and the truth. Big difference. Well, it's a lot easier, a lot less painful if I just didn't tell them the truth. And there are times when we do that. We do that because, for several reasons, we want to keep the, the peace. Well, I'm not going to tell her that, uh, you know, the meal wasn't that great because I want to keep the peace. I'm not going to tell him that he doesn't look real good in skinny jeans. So, 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 so I'm, I'm, I'm just going to withhold that information, you know. Yeah. So these are the kind of things, you know, just, just speak the truth. Um, verse 12, for this reason, I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I'm not ashamed for I know whom I have believed and am, pers- am, persu- am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. Paul had no fear of persecution. He had no fear of death. He had no fear of preaching the gospel in a hostile setting. Because he was so confident God has sealed his future. God's got it. That's what he, we need to believe in. That's what he's teaching Timothy. And that's what we have a responsibility to teach, to encourage. And, and we know it, but sometimes we have to be reminded of these things. Paul had a confidence in Jesus. And he was confident that, that God has sealed his future. There's no question. Yeah, I know. I know I'm going to get, you know, boiled and stoned and shipwrecked and a whole bunch of things that weren't positive. But Paul was willing to. He was sold out, plain and simple. Sold out to Jesus. That's where we need to be. I'm not saying that's where we want to be, but that's where we need to be because there's a cost. And regardless of what we say, we count the cost. I'm, I'm willing to do this, but this is what it's going to cost me, and, and I think the cost is too high. Too high? You think the high and lofty one feels that that's more important than uh, being able to, to work to him and see him face to face? No. The answer is No. Verse 13, hold fast the pattern of sound words which you have heard from me in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Faith is confident that God's word is true and love is kindness and compassion in teaching that truth. So we have to believe in, in, in Christ that, that his word is true, which we do. 
We do. There's no, no gray area in the Bible. None, regardless of what some of us want to believe or what others want to believe. There's no gray areas. God's word is true. We can trust every promise that he's made, and there are a lot of them. We can say for sure that his, all his promises are yea and amen. There's no question about it. Well, I wonder if this is what he meant. He meant what he said, and he said what he meant. Verse 14, that good thing which was committed to you, keep by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. This is a treasure of the good news of salvation revealed in the scripture. The good news, the gospel, salvation as it revealed in the spirit. So as we read this, we get the chance for the Lord to reveal his heart to us. And when we ask ourselves, what would Jesus do? It's right there. I don't care what you've done. I don't care what you're doing. I don't care what you're going to do. It's covered. I don't care what area of sin you're trapped in. There's someone here in this, in, in this Bible who's been there, done that. I don't care if you start to experience hopelessness. There's someone who's been in, in, in here who's been through it or going through it. And they still end up in Hebrews 11. How could that be? How could that be? This, this man was an absolute scoundrel. This woman was scum of the earth. And yet she made it. How could that be? Don't, I mean, David, are you serious? Solomon, come on. Really? These guys made it in? Are you serious with me here? That can't be. Doesn't the Lord realize what they did? Uh, yeah. It says he's sovereign, and there's no mistake about anybody who made it in there. And are our sins any worse than these men and women? Is anybody in here worse off than Rahab? Has anybody done more dirty deeds than David? From our perspective. Has anybody... Here, lately, kill somebody and bury them in the sand. I'm looking around, and there's a possibility, but <laughs> we'll let that one go. Um, hmm. Verse 15. This you know that all those in Asia had turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. Asia, Asia was a Roman province that is part of modern Turkey and not the entire region of Asia Minor. He's not saying that all these people have turned away, not at all. But in this particular area, it just appeared so. And these two men uh, were, they were well known among the Asian churches and they had shown promise as leaders. They had been close to Paul, but they deserted Paul under the pressure of persecution. They were afraid of men. They were teaching God's word, and they realized that they had a bunch of folks who were in opposition to that. No different today, my friends. You know, we don't suffer yet the type of persecution that they suffered. We're not going to, more than likely, we're not going to have someone come in and kick the doors down and say, you know, you can't do this. This is illegal yet. But if we continue to be... um, Passive, the chances are that it will be. The church, we need to take a stand. Doesn't mean carrying picket signs or loading up our 357 magnums. Doesn't mean any of that. It just means that hand-to-hand warfare, commonly known as prayer. Let's continue to pray for our church. Let's continue to pray for this body. Let's continue to pray for the body of Christ. That, you know, and we know that he knows what's going on. He's not surprised by any of this. He saw it long ago that we would come to this. Just like he saw where Sodom and Gomorrah was going. He sees America. And I don't want to sound morbid, folks. 
but this is part of the truth in love. And he's put it on my heart, you know, to, to, to say what I'm saying, to share this. We're no different. We're no different. Um, he, when, we, when we read in Revelations about the Laodicean church, it was awful. How could they? How dare they? Take a different perspective. Look at this. And I'm not putting blame or guilt on anybody. But are we much different? Are we any different than the Laodicean church in Revelation? We're very comfortable here. I don't think anybody's sitting here hungry. I know there's a couple people who are not. But really? Anybody cold? Anybody freezing? Anybody that doesn't have a jacket? Anybody who doesn't have a relatively decent automobile? Anybody who's sleeping outside in the cold? I don't think so. We're very comfortable. But that's not a good thing. Verse 16, the Lord grant mercy to the household of Oniferous, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chain. Oniferous was a loyal co-worker of Paul who became friends of Paul in prison. He was not afraid to visit Paul on a regular basis and minister to Paul's needs. He knew there was a danger, but he was willing to take a stand. He was willing to uh, take care of Paul's needs in spite of the opposition. That's where we need to be. That's where we want to be. To just go out and teach the word of God, preach the word of God, encourage others regardless. 17, but when he arrived in Rome, he saw me out very zealously and found me. The text implies that Oniferous search involved time, effort, and possibly danger. But he was not afraid. He knew there was a cost, and he was willing to pay that cost. Are you willing to pay that cost? Are you willing to, to not be a part of the, 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 the group at work because you're a, a child of God? Are you going to suppress your faith in Christ when opposition is more in number than you are? If I'm, if I'm with you, who can be against you? Do you really believe that? Or you think that's just something that he's saying? God is serious. He's with you. He's always with you. Last verse. 18. The Lord grant to him that he may find mercy from the Lord in that day. And you know very well how many ways he ministered to me at Ephesus. Omnificence's faithfulness began in Ephesus many years earlier when Paul ministered on his third or fourth missionary journey. A friend who sticks closer than a brother. Somebody who's dedicated to the cause. Somebody who's willing to take the hits, regardless of, of the, the circumstances, regardless of the situation. That's where we want to be. That's why I want to encourage you guys to be. Each and every one of you. Love you dearly. Jesus loves you more. So just continue to reach out. Continue to Make yourself secondary, or, or third, tertiary, whatever. Continue to lower yourself below that person that needs you more than you need yourself. They're out there, folks. You see them. But the question is, will you approach them? Take advantage of every opportunity that you have for fellowship. And there's some people, they're load. But that doesn't deter us. It shouldn't deter us from reaching out to them. It doesn't deter us from praying for, with, for them. It doesn't deter us from praying with them. It doesn't deter them before we say you're going to hell and you're going to burn. Say Jesus loves you. And it's not wrong. They can't argue with that. Well, if he loved me, why would he take away something that I love? Because he knows better. We have the advantage of looking through the keyhole into the room. Jesus has the advantage of opening the door, seeing the whole room, the beginning from the end. Let's continue to praise him and everything. Lord, we thank you for how you blessed us tonight. And Lord, I pray that if I've said even one word that has 
uh, discourage my sister or my brother, Father. I just pray that you would wipe it from my minds even now. So we thank you for how you've uh, worked in each and every one of our lives individually and corporately, Father. And I do pray, as always, that your word was rightly divided. And I just think so thankful for my sisters and brothers, those here and those uh, uh, from a remote standpoint, Father, that you would just continue to bless them well beyond measure. I know you got a plan for each and every one of us, Father. I just pray that we can get out of the way or stay out of the way and allow your will to be done in each and every one of our lives. I pray especially for those among us who have prodigal sons and daughters. I pray for those of us uh, who are equally yoked to some extent, unequally yoked to some extent. And I pray, Father, that you would just continue to show us, if it be your will, what's going on in every situation. We... we uh, have a tendency to think that we have a God who can just fix things. But we, God, you, you're so knowledgeable that you know that fixing the issue may not necessarily be the, the solution to the problem. So we do thank you that. We thank you for blessing us well beyond measure. We thank you for the mercies that are new every morning. And we thank you for loving us well beyond measure. May you see the glory all in our lives from this day and forevermore. In the name of Jesus, our soon returning King, we pray. Amen, amen, and amen. God bless you guys. Thanks for coming out. And uh, have a blessed week.